Hello! Below there! Have you seen my programs? Hello, you! Yes, you! Down there! Have you seen... No, don't run away! Don't run away! Help me! Help me! Help me! Ah, hello, my friends. Didn't hear you there. Wonderful to be back with you after all this time. Uh, and, uh, uh, hello! Uh, no, he's gone. He's gone. Funny how agitated people get when you scream at them from a great height. Uh, but I must fill you in on my global archive expedition, my friends, and which of my programs I've found over the summer. Well, none so far, uh, and uh, it's December now. Nearly Christmas. I can tell from the direction of the birds. Wings have frozen, poor things are all plummeting straight down. I've caught the occasional one and held it up to the burner in the balloon to try and thaw it out, but... So far, I've only managed to cook several delicious lunches. But in spite of the slow start, I feel hopeful. And I have come a long way, through the near misses with passing jets and the weeks on end of being sent round in circles by the wind. I've gradually made it all the way to Berkshire. I think. Uh, that's based on the accents of the family over whom I accidentally emptied my chamber box the other day. But where am I going? Nigeria? Hong Kong? Singapore? Sierra Leone? Well, these last few months I've been working out the best foreign archive to make my first destination. Balloon being the age it is, I want the first stop to be the place where I stand the best chance of getting lots back, uh, just in case. And, after consulting all my paperwork from over the years, I have decided that I need a bit more to go on. But I think more to go on might just be in reach, westerly winds permitting. And, according to my little compass, they are. I'm using the one we brought out to promote Alfred's adventures in 1973, along with his ultra-powerful binoculars, top-of-the-range kit. That's why we never recovered our costs. Too expensive to market something that high quality as a children's toy. Complete disaster. But if they're right, perhaps this Christmas I'll get the guiding star I need. If they're right. <laughs> well, my friends, they were right. A couple of hours on, and there's a city up ahead. And I think, well, let's be sure, look through the binoculars... Not much I recognise so far. Buildings are... Hang on. Yes, it is. It's London! The skyline's changed a bit, but... But that's London for sure. I can see St Paul's. Oh, good gracious, it's been a long time. But I know just where I'm going. And there are sure to be plenty of old friends to help me when we get there. I can't wait for you to meet them. Goodness, it's all going according to plan. Do you know, I think I can make the rest of the journey on foot. It's hard to control without the vent at the top, but I, I've kept the burner off for quite some time now, so drifting nice and low, we'll, we'll make our landing just after these trees. Oh, actually, the descent's a, a bit faster than I thought. Oh, no, 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 we're getting too low, we're too low, too low!
Well, my friends, I think I've landed. Into the Archives with Peter Fleming. A quest for the lost children's television classics of Peter Fleming. Presented by me, Peter Fleming. This Christmas, BBC Television Centre. Well, here we are, my friends. The balloon's safe and secure in those trees, and after finding I'd temporarily forgotten how to use my legs, I managed to hurl myself onto the back of a passing car, which took me the rest of the way. I've just arrived in London. To be precise, Wood Lane. And as you may have gathered, I have decided to pay a visit to BBC Television Centre. It's been an awfully long time, but... But I know, even after all these years, there are bound to be friendly faces there to help me on my search. I dare say I can see some coming out of the tube now, heading into work at that magical place. New buildings here and there around the area, but it's the same atmosphere, the same excitement. It's not in view just yet. I'm coming up the road now, heading past all the trees and fairy lights twinkling, road signs, eh? Yeah, just... Television centre. BBC television centre, they should say. <laughs> it's sloppy. What's this one here? Eh? BBC Studios. Y yes, I know they're BBC Studios, and lots of them. <laughs> Silly thing. And the BBC letters are all wrong. They're supposed to be slanted. Oh, well, I suppose it could be worse. My goodness, this is it. I'm, I'm at the corner of the building. Another few steps. Turn round and... I I'll be able to see it all. Do you know, I, I want to take it in all at once. I'm going to look down and cover my eyes as I come round the corner. Just a few more steps. Uh, yes, that, that must be it. Well, here we are, my friends. Let's look up. After all this time, BBC television set... What the... What have they done to it? What have they done? Am I the only one who can see it? Can you people not see? The East Tower. Where's the East Tower? You maniacs! You blew it up! Damn you! Oh, damn you all to... Hello, my friends. Peter here again. I've regained consciousness following a blackout and, after shouting aimlessly for another hour or so, seem to have got over the initial shock. It turns out that the BBC sold Television Centre some years ago. Apparently the first three studios are still working, but uh, the rest have all been knocked down and turned into flats. They must have been tricked into it by criminals or something. It's the only explanation. I crept into a showroom just now state agents all over the place, and uh, got hold of this advertising brochure. You can buy one of the old offices here, a two-bed flat now, for just one and a half million pounds. I don't know who they think is going to be living there, the DG. <laughs> well, let's have a read, shall we? See what the propaganda has to say about it. 
This magnificent historic estate has been reborn as West London's new centre of gravity, a cultural hub. Television centre is more than a place for living, it is a place for life. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, well, as long as it hasn't caused a disastrous shortage of studio space in the nation's capital. <laughs> it goes on. In our view, it is more than worth the resulting disastrous shortage of buffoons. Well, as it say. But if anything, the building's function has broadened rather than diminished in recent years, with studios for both the BBC and ITV on site, apart from the 15 or so we bulldozed. Still, one and a half each ain't bad. ITV making programmes here is nothing sacred. TVC was the soul of the area, but locals couldn't really share in it. This reimagining has opened it up to everyone, from Russian oligarchs to oligarchs from other countries. Now anyone can take a walk around Television Centre, hang out on the forecourt, was this written by an American? And go have, oh it definitely was, a drink or a bite to eat. Yes, well, I should think after spending a few million quid on a flat of bites, all you could still afford. Place for life. Where there was life here already, my corporate friends. Makes me realise how lucky I've been with McAllister's Mill. Oh, Gemma and Roger, if only you could have forked out for this place too. And there I was, thinking the programmes were the only treasures they were throwing away. I remember when Terry Wogan climbed that building for a dare. Surprisingly agile, you know. Put on a balaclava, scampered vertically up the side with no equipment at all. Broke into a six-floor office, got hold of the head of series and serials car keys, drove his BMW to a tip and had it crushed into nothing. Every single person in the building gave him five pounds each for doing that, and he gave it all to the first children in need. Yes, there was life here all right. Over the way... Pan's people were seen every midnight carrying out their mystic, bloody rituals to preserve their unnatural beauty. Nobody ever told them about face cream. Shame, it would have saved a lot of goats. And all over this site you could look out the window most days and spot Peter Purvis bearing a time capsule. <laughs> we thought it was for Blue Peter at first, but no, it turned out he was just burying objects around the premises on his own account. I'm getting very cross if anyone ever asked why. I went up to him once and asked him, Peter, why are you bearing all these boxes all over the place? What's got into you? And he said to me, who are you? But it became a tradition. Everybody started doing it. Production secretaries, people in programme planning, and of course the stars. Johnny Ball, cast of Dad's Army. I seem to recall Ronnie Corbett could burrow rapidly like a mole with his bare hands so he could bury his and Ronnie Barker's capsules extra deep. Barker didn't get very hands-on with it, but uh, he was busy writing the script, wasn't he? Goodness, yes. I wonder what memories are still buried all round here. I wonder. Because if I know my BBC, my friends, this place will have had those people here to the very end. Passionate, creative, dedicated people. People doing everything they could to express themselves and preserve the human spirit. And lots of better paid administrators asking them not to. The builders might not have gutted the place altogether. And if the people who left it at the end did a good job, perhaps there's a 
time capsule or two still stowed away under the floorboards. Never know. There might still be old stocks of paperwork lying around that'll show me where I need to go on the expedition. I certainly never tidied my office up. Never knew when it might all come in handy. Well, it's worth a try, my friends. Perhaps I haven't come here for nothing after all. Let's have a think how to get in, and, and whilst I do that, let's see what other memories I can conjure up and bring this place back to life. This is... Peter Remembers. Well, for a start, this plaza with restaurants where you can purchase your bites worth of food used to be the car park where the day always started. People flooding in, be that from the tube down the road or driving through the security gate if they were lucky enough to have a spot, or at the top level being driven through. Oh yes, there's many a time I saw Hugh Green and Charles Curran sailing by in the Director General's horse-drawn carriage, stepping out onto the back of an urchin boy whose sole job was to support their weight as they alighted. See, that's what your license fee got you back then. Class. Where's Alan, I wonder? The old guard. Morning, Alan, I'd say to him every day on my way in. He'd always say back to me, who are you? It was a running joke he and I had. I laughed, but he'd never crack, completely immovable. <laughs> or so I thought. Must have been bulldozed as well, poor fellow. And looking up there, I'm positive now. The, the East Tower's definitely gone. Just a building site. I hope they did a check before they knocked it down, because I can't imagine Biddy Baxter wasn't still in there. <laughs> I would have been too if they'd let me, but... Uh, Sadly, I was evicted from my own East Tower office back in 1972, following a comical misunderstanding and violent skirmish with Brian Kant. So they found me a little place of my own in the doughnut itself. Bit of a step up, if anything. My East Tower colleagues were rather jealous, but I, I said to them, even in the tower, you'll never be truly out in the cold. Not with that much asbestos around you. But what am I doing talking about the East Tower? Look what's right in front of me. TC1. You can't see it, my friends, but I'm resting my right hand against the wall. You can feel the history. I see the BBC letters up top have been taken off. Just says television centre now. But the letters have left a shadow. Wonder if it seeps through the wall, inspiring that Wreathian spirit in the programmes made there today. I certainly did what I could on the rare occasions I was given such a large space to work with. Of my late 60s, early 70s series, How's It Done?, which took children behind the scenes of television, uh, we were allowed to use TC1 to show the scale of the BBC's operation. I remember in 1969, we borrowed the Christmas tree from Trafalgar Square to demonstrate the height of the studio. <laughs> a memorable episode for the viewers, especially when the police arrived in force to get it back. I miss that studio. All of them. The thrill of stepping through the doors, looking up and around, the lights, it never went away. And to have proper state-of-the-art facilities at long last. I'd made programmes in Lime Grove Studio D before then. Antiquated old boot cupboard. <laughs> you know, the technology in there was so clapped out, the sprinklers would come on if you did so much as start an enormous fire in the gallery. Uh, it's funny, you know, usually when I 
think back, I, I find the theme tunes of my program start swooping round in my head. But today, all I've got is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Chalk Farm, Salvation Army Band, Children's Choir, processing into the Blue Peter Studio. I told you last year about uh, Christmas 1972 when I disguised myself as a trumpeter in a failed attempt to pinch a badge, but uh, the truth is I've been trying that for years. I dressed as an unusually large school pupil once, a school teacher the year after, which was uh, much more sensible. Then Val the year after that. Uh, that was a stupid idea. The real one was standing right next to me. I remember they grabbed hold of me, ripped the disguise off, and Val just stared and... After a time, said, Who are you? And I said, Valerie Singleton. But she saw right through that. I had to make a run for it. But Hark the Herald was always there, every year, that tradition. But I shouldn't think you'd hear a single carol round these parts anymore. That's what bothers me, you know. This place was sacred. Selling it off, there's, there's something so unchristian about it. Lord Reed's house was for informing, educating, and entertaining, and you have made it a den of thieves. <laughs> I should write that down. Oh, no, I'm recording. It doesn't matter. <sighs> but, oh, to process to that carol once more, parade into TC3, creep up to a pile of badgers, get caught, run for my life from the security men, to live another TV centre day. My colleagues, my friends. Sometimes I, I wish I could live in a videotape, endlessly replaying, walking through those moments over and over. I suppose that's what they all do in the end. If only I could see something that hasn't changed. Well, let's head into the donut, my friends. Uh, walking through now, perhaps a, a look round here will... Um, Oh, hello. <laughs> well, my friends, I, I seem to have found something preserved after all. In the middle of the circle, there still stands, after all this time, the statue of Helios. But there's a beacon for us all. Oh, but the, the fountain's going. <laughs> Never used to. Too risky. You see, underneath here, you'd find... Uh, should I tell you? Oh, why not? It's a long time ago. And besides, it's Christmas. And I know. I'll tell you what was under here. Through this enthralling dip into the audio archive. Audio archive. You see, beneath the ground where I'm standing was a closely guarded secret of tremendous importance to the Beeb. The column supporting that statue runs right down through the fountain and, narrowing down, sinks into a hidden room below. And in that hidden room, centred around that thin column, was every single revolving globe used in the BBC One idents, from 1963 all the way to 1985, at which point they went over to computers and ruined everything. The central column ran through the globe, pole to pole, and it was rotated by connecting it to a bicycle, which would be pedalled round in a circle by the continuity announcer as they kept the channel running. That's why the fountain never ran. They couldn't afford any leaks disrupting operations down there. I mean, 
would have created a national panic. The location was kept secret too, and most staff were told a ridiculous story about the VT and telecine apparatus being down there, couldn't risk it getting damp. I mean, if the BBC had cared that much about their programmes, I wouldn't be making this one, would I? I eventually found out and was sworn to secrecy when I covered how the idents were made in another episode of How's It Done in 1973. Without revealing where I was, I took control of the bicycle for a single shift, keeping the channel going for six hours one Saturday. (laughs) The programme itself is lost, but fortunately my progress was captured live in a set of off-air recordings by a continuity enthusiast. Here I am at ten to six. On BBC Two in 25 minutes, Geraldine Piper reads your poems in Your Poems. This is BBC One, and now John Pertwee stars in a new Doctor Who adventure, Frontier of Space. And again at quarter past. This is BBC One, and now the... And we're tripping up ahead. Can we, can we make them switch it off? I'm, I'm slipping it... Now we enter the wonderful world of Disney with Hurricane Hannah. Then at quarter to seven... Coming up next is... Uh, what time is it now? I can't, I can't turn the page where I'm steering. Oh, it, it's probably Basil Brush or something. Uh, back at quarter past eight... What a long episode! And now on BBC, BBC One's Silla Black interview Cliff Richard. Uh, a song for Europe, you know. Just play the bloody tape. And finally, at five past nine... This is BBC One, and in a change to our scheduled episode of Ironside, I think I'm going to die! What a line-up, eh? We don't give continuity announcers enough credit, you know. Very hard to keep a steady voice doing that. <laughs> Though I wish someone had told me he didn't have to cycle while the programmes were on. Would have made the handover before close-down a lot easier. wonder if those globes are still down there. Yes, it's good to see some things haven't been completely destroyed. (laughs) Gives me some hope for going in to investigate. And in the doughnut all around us, uh, well, a few grubby little signs asking for your money. Retail space available. The mosaic is still the same. Well, no sense in wasting any more time. Let's try going in, my friends. I I shouldn't think my old pass would be valid anymore, but I've got an idea. I'm going through the doors now into the so-called Helios Apartments. Uh, Let's see what happens. Wish me luck. Can I help you, sir? Desvidanya! Oh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. I didn't realise you were an oligarch. Go right through. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm through, my friends. I learned a bit of Russian back in the 70s, in case I ever found myself in the flattering position of being considered as a Soviet asset. Little did that security fellow back there know, what I actually just said was the Russian for, no thank you, I'm loyal to Her Majesty. (laughs) And now, here I am. Back in the BBC, free to roam these corridors as I wish. And and now I'm in, I I can feel it. My instinctive knowledge of the place, 
Undimmed. <laughs> and, oh, that gives me an idea. Whilst I seek out my old office, my friends, and look for buried treasure, why don't you sit back and enjoy this commercial message? The Peter Fleming Tour Service grants access to all BBC buildings in the United Kingdom. With guile or failing that brute force, Peter will get you onto every site to show you around, especially the local radio stations where, frankly, they let anyone in. Listen to anecdotes that will truly shock. It's made clear that none are verifiable, so Peter will just say what gets the biggest reaction. Step into a studio and gallery to make programmes of your own. Perhaps we'll even make it to air if we press the right buttons. The experience of a lifetime is yours for just £5 a head. £5 a torso, with a service charge of £5 and £5 an anecdote. So anything from £50 to £200. Warning, tours are joined at the customer's own risk. In the event of getting caught, running shoes, alibis and weapons are not supplied. Book now. Well, my friends, I'm up the stairs and I'm on the right floor for my post-cant skirmish office. And my instinctive knowledge of the building is working perfectly. So far, I've walked in a complete circuit of the entire corridor twice without finding where I'm looking for and become incredibly angry, which is exactly how it used to work. So... Third time lucky. On we go. <laughs> yes, it always helped to have a good grasp of the place when you were coming up with programme ideas. You got to know where all the different departments were. You could go up to them directly and find out what they thought was practical. That's what was so perfect about this place. A whole television factory with everything under one roof. Everybody worked here, together. From the lighting boys and the makeup girls to the departments that employed adults. Uh, not that one. Hey, what's more, the, the BBC really had departments for everything back then. Every single thing you'd need was covered. Visual effects designers, pastry chefs, clock repairmen, wood engravers and puppet carvers, helicopter pilots on permanent standby, coal miners, dog wrestlers, a designated Mary Whitehouse tackler at every door in case she somehow got into the building. And every production was granted a minimum of four butlers. Much like your regular floor assistants, but with a much stronger sense of decorum. I always wanted to give them walk-on parts in my dramas. A moment in the spotlight, you know. <laughs> but equity would have gone spare. Yeah, not that one. Uh, yes, uh, the corporation was very strongly unionised in those days. Uh, uh, not that I held that against them. Uh, made sure the children working here got a fair deal, and that's to be applauded. But you had to do things by the book, especially when it came to recording. 10pm, the lights went out, and woe betide any director who hadn't finished their studio day by then. <laughs> I remember uh, back in 1965, uh, a friend of mine was directing something, tried going on past ten, and, uh, and he was executed. Actually, uh, I remember that might have been for something else. Uh, oh, I think this might be it. Something about where I'm standing. It feels all tingly. Well, let's see. Uh, this is it. It's a flat now, of course. Uh, I don't think anyone lives here. Bare and but the view's just the same. Same angle of the statue outside. 
And my desk used to be just, uh Double check, shall we? Get to desk height. Ooh, my knees aren't what they were. Oh, but yes, this is... This is definitely it. Hello, old friend. I wonder how many people took care of this place after me, eh? But, oh, what have they done to you now? Well, moment of truth. As I say, I, I'd left a lot of paperwork lying about when I was last here, and, and if any was left at the end, and if anyone picked it up, held on to it, and secreted it into a little time capsule under the desk, it'd probably be about here. Solid new floor. But fortunately, I have with me my trusty hammer, which viewers will remember from... Uh, oh, it's not from a programme, actually, no. I, I've just got a hammer. Well, now, <clears throat> come on, you BBC mavericks. Don't let me down. There is something down there. Let's see if I can pull it up. What oh, a dusty old box. <laughs> well, it looks like there was still some of that BBC spirit here after all. Now, uh, let's see what's inside. What the hell have you done? I've got a viewing here in ten minutes. Desvidenia? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't realise we'd sold this one. No trouble at all. <laughs> well, if you, you wouldn't mind letting me uh, carry uh, on. Yes. Uh, are you smashing up your own floor? Uh, uh, yes, checking for bugs. Uh, used to be in the KGB. Old habits die hard. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Whew. If I'd known getting a house was that easy, I would have done it ages ago. Anyway, I think that's uh, quite enough distraction, my friends. Let's open my Christmas present. Uh, oh. <coughs> oh, my goodness. It is. It really is. There's a handwritten note here on BBC letterhead. Very posh. <laughs> Let's have a read. Dear Peter Fleming, I have held on to this paperwork for you all this time. Plenty of messages have come in while you were away. I fear it may now be too late, but I am storing them here in the hope you might still come looking. Good luck and love to my... It's crossed out. Our old office with best wishes from a successor now past. Gosh, I never knew who it was. Well, my friends, let's see what has come in while I've been away. And since I left my old stock of fan mail back in the balloon, let's make this a festive edition of... Messages from Beyond. See what's first. Uh, oh, a big folder here, full of... Uh, good Lord. It's a log of audience complaints. Going back to... It's everything. 
every complaint ever received by one of my programs. No wonder it's so hefty. Yeah, how kind of the audience research people to forward that on. Fancy. Dear sirs, I was appalled by yesterday's How's It Done program when a cat was dropped from the ceiling to demonstrate your studio's height. It, of course, in TC1, that's true. Yeah, we had to do something when they took the Christmas tree back, didn't we? And in our defence, the cat very nearly made it. Well, I'll certainly keep this, my friends. It'd be interesting to compare to the fan mail. What else is here? Oh, a set of memos. What do they say? Dear Miss Baxter... Oh, no. They're always sending me Blue Peter's messages by mistake. And Blue Peter mine. They probably got heaps of replies from BBC Enterprises and the film and videotape library. Well, I was always writing to them for viewing copies of my programmes I could keep. Nothing ever came of it, sadly. And the confusion sometimes caused vital messages for Blue Peter to be sent to me. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, campfire getting out of hand in studio with the girl guides in uh, 1971? Well, that all happened because the instructions for keeping it under control had been sent to me by mistake. <laughs> yeah, I could have done with those back in Lime Grove, really. Now, what's this? Uh... Ah, here are some letters from Enterprises and the library. Oh, forwarded on, at least. Uh, going back to 1976, I was still here. Must have gone a roundabout route. Uh, right up to 2002. Well, I never. Uh, what are they saying? Uh, to whom it may concern, we represent the PFAS, brackets FC, brackets Peter Fleming Appreciation Society, brackets Fan Club, close brackets, close brackets, close bracket. We would like to request viewing copies of the following programmes for an event. Then a list of... Gosh, that's a lot. Professor Zaney, Inside the Orange, Floating Mr McAllister, The Bicycle Family, How's It Done, Uncle Kenneth's Doll's House. We promise we won't keep them honest, and we absolutely trust you at the BBC not to throw them away. We really are the PFAS, brackets, FC, close bracket, and not a lone collector trying to save the films from your disrespectful hands. Yours sincerely... I can't quite make out the name. It. Gosh, I wonder if they ever had any luck. There's a, another one here. Dear Sirs, I represent a shadowy network of private film collectors and request the full series of The Vigil and Messages from Beyond. They are purely for cultural interest and not financial gain, but I am happy to reward handsomely any individual who will comply with... Bribery is a good idea. I wish I'd thought of that at the time, you know. I wonder if it worked. Here's another. Dear Sir or Madam, we are the organisers of the annual May Day Film and Television Festival on Summer Isle. We request film copies of the following Peter Fleming programmes and promise not to burn them. He's getting a little eccentric, isn't he? Well, I'm sure I can follow these up in due course, my friends. Three fresh leads all at once. Good gracious. What's this down here? Oh, another hefty volume. I, I, this is it, my friends. I knew I'd asked for one. Dear Mr. Fleming, 
please find enclosed your requested file of overseas sales and returns. Just what I needed. Please accept our apologies for the delay. The file was put together swiftly, but misdelivered to the Blue Peter office for several decades. Goodness sake. Well, my friends, let's open it up and find the answer. Where should I go first? Uh, it's organised by programme and transmission dates. It's good. Uh, this is Zaney's Mad Laboratory. Let's see. Uh, sold to Ghana and returned to BBC Enterprises, 1972. Uh, right. Uh, let's see. Uh, sold to Nigeria as well. Uh, returned to Enterprises, 1974. Uh, Singapore returned 1966. Oh, they went keen. Uh, let's try uh, floating Mr. McAllister. Why not? Uh, sold to Gibraltar 1973. Notification received. Copyright materials destroyed in compliance. With... I suppose that must mean the film's part of the contract. Destroyed at your end or send it back to us. New Zealand, destroyed, 1974. Uh, Sierra Leone, returned, 1974. Not destroyed, though, till they got back here. Uh, messages from beyond. Uh, Hong Kong, returned, uh, destroyed, destroyed. Uh, the bicycle family returned, returned, returned. Uh, how, how's it done? Uh, destroyed, returned, destroyed. Uh, two little horses, destroyed, destroyed. Ejected, how rude. Inside the orange... Uh, uh, cornucopia. Mother, mother, mother Christmas. Uh, solar powered boy. Is it my birthday? Nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing there. Anywhere. All been and gone. End of the expedition. This place is where they were all made. This is where I found out they were all gone. Like everything else. Oh, what am I... What am I saying? You never know. Everything returned at least once. No telling what... Might have been saved from the skip by a wily engineer, eh? Oh, except this one. Returned, thrown into a pit in Lewisham, had a car park built on it. Well, at least that's conclusive. Everything else, though, someone might have got something out with a big enough bribe. <laughs> Perhaps the same happened abroad, too. You never know. I have to track down these collectors. Balloon or... Make it easier to get round this country, at least. 
Well, I... I've seen what I needed to, my friends. Uh, time we were going. Never know. Uh, that lady from the estate agents might realise I don't belong here. Uh, but if you'd like to get in touch, I, I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Not sure what address is best to reach me. Uh, once I'm back of the balloon, I, I'll probably still be taking off again. Peter Fleming up the tree in Surrey or Greater London or... I know. One last time, my friends, uh, since it's the last time I'll have called to say it, here's the address where you can no longer reach me. Peter Fleming, BBC Television Centre, Wood Lane, London, West 12, 8Q... Messages from Beyond <sighs> Well, my friends, uh, that would seem to be that. I've left TV Centre now, for the last time. Uh, but I've taken that box of gubbins with me. May prove invaluable in the search. And it's not the end of the expedition. It seems there are Lots of collectors to track down in Britain. And perhaps abroad too, but I... I can't very well travel around the world on such a small chance now. And so, I, I came for a guiding star, and I got it. There's still hope. But some of my programmes, it's hit me now. Probably really are gone. Not the direction I'd hoped for, but true direction it is. That's Christmas all over, isn't it? Never what to expect, never how you're remembered. You go back to where you've come from, looking for the old magic, you find it's... But then, you can always find something, even as time marches on. I'm in Hammersmith Park now. Just round the back of TV Centre, and incorporating the remains of the Blue Peter Garden. I see children and their parents playing over in the distance. And those children have no idea what used to be on their doorstep. Now, there's a, a sign at the park's entrance. Uh, apparently, at the beginning of the 20th century, this whole site was home to the Garden of Peace, part of the Japan-British Exhibition of 1910. I never knew that when I worked here. How would they have felt, I wonder, to come back in the 60s and find what had been built on their work, just so I could make the Saturday Asylum? <laughs> just the same as I feel now, I should think. But time marches on, and so does Wood Lane. It may not have been... BBC Television Centre's time yet, but it would have come eventually, one way or another. But the memory stays imprinted. We record our memories onto so many things. Film, videotape, buildings, places. All things must pass. Sometimes all we can do is look back to keep them alive. Lay down those memories for those who follow us to find, and say to them, 
Look what we made. See what we've built. And hope we can pass it on. Just like over here, in what's left of the Blue Peter Garden. Looking at it now, yes, it's certainly not the worst it's been vandalised. In spite of everything, they've tried to look after some of it. A little sign gives you the history. An old mural by a viewer has been preserved. 2005, eh? And down there, tucked under a bush, you can barely see it, a little blue Peter galleon sticking out of the ground, as if to say, here is the place. Here is the place. Here is the place. There's something down there. There's something down there, my friends. I, I know it. it. There's something down there. I'm going to get digging. Channeling my inner Corbett. Come on, Tony Hart, don't let me down. I know it. I just know it. Which means, my friends, there might just be time for a festive edition of... Peter's Private Collection. Nearly there. Nearly there, my friends. I've uncovered something. A big, sturdy metal box. Is... Let's see if I can drag it out. Oh, yes. Oh, now, goodness, there's a time capsule for you. In the Blue Peter Garden. Where else? <laughs> Let's get it open. Oh, Oh, musty. <laughs> it doesn't look too bad, though. Ah, this is from the Blue Peter office, all right. There's a letter here. Dear explorers of the future, please cherish this hoard of treasure from a most beloved building. With love from the Blue Peter team. Goodbye, BBC Children's. See you in Salford. Salford? They moved to the northwest. I've just bloody come from there. Oh, well, well, let's see what's packed up here, eh? <laughs> Postcards of the presenters. Very nice. <laughs> An old script. My word, from... From the year 2000. Good Lord. An old annual. The ninth book. John and Shep on the cover. It's a good one. What's this underneath it all? Not at the very bottom. It's metal. It's a film can. Film can. Marked BBC television. Telerecording. Oh my God. What's it say? What's it say? The label needs a scrub. What's it? What does it say? Doctor Who, Series V, Dalek Master Plan 4. 
Yeah, nothing to do with me. Still, my friends, just goes to show what you can turn up. <laughs> and right in the back garden. <laughs> uh, I suppose I'll keep it. Always had a soft spot for Daleks, really. In spite of the odd duel with Terry Nation. <laughs> you never know. Nothing else. Might be a handy bargaining chip one day. <laughs> uh, let's see what else is here. Oh, look at this. Photograph of the studio at Christmas. Brass band, the choir, John, Peter, Val. Oh, and me just next to her. It's not a bad likeness, you know. Uh, what else here? Eh? Ah, a couple of old coat hangers, tinsel, ah, instructions for making the advent crown, I thought so. And look, oh, another script. Christmas 1972. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> well, I... I... Where's that coming from? Can you hear that, my friends? Is it just me? Building work, it's stopped. I'm back. Well, 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 my friends. Just listen to that. After all this time, Christmas at BBC Television Centre. <sighs> well, my friends, the evening's drawing on, and I'm back on the plaza outside the former BBC television centre with a box full of goodies, a 16mm film print, and a little flame of hope. Well, one last look, eh? Ah. You know, after the horror I felt when I arrived, my spirit seems to have calmed. And see past the anger now, just look onto the face of this building that I loved so much and say, that was a nice thing we had once. Those memories I'll carry forever. And the more of us do that, the more we can hand them on to those children in the park who don't realise what delights were once here. To those fancy diners and well-to-do residents to those viewers at home who deserve the very best. I can see across the plaza the estate agent who walked in earlier when I was digging. You know, I, I think she just looked at me. Yes, I think she knows. Ah, she's talking to the fellow on the door. The fellow on security I went by earlier. I can think just what they're saying. 
Isn't this a wondrous place? Aren't we fortunate? Yes, <laughs> that'll be it. <laughs> they seem very animated. Almost agitated. She's pointing at me again. Both looking my way now. Security chap looks uh, rather surly. He's coming towards me. Sir? Sir? Oh, Christ! <laughs> Running for my life from security at Television Center. <laughs> oh, this does take me back, my friends. <laughs> oh, now, where did I used to go? Ah, oh, of course, the tube. <laughs> oh. Let, let me through! Let me through! Have you got a ticket? Does we then, yeah? Oh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. I didn't realise you were an oligarch. Go right through. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas! <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, thank goodness. Oh, oh, he could follow. Where shall I? Where shall I hide? Where shall I hide? Where shall I hide, my friends? <laughs> Where shall I hide? <laughs> Uh, this is an Well, my friends, uh, should be safe here, lying low for a time in that other great London institution, the underground. <laughs> yes, it's comforting to know there are some things you can always rely on. Oh, oh no, not another one. Oh, oh, oh. near thing. Well, uh, well, give it an hour, then I'll, uh, find my way out. Should be safe, then. Find my way back to the field, wherever it was. Back to the balloon. And then, the hunt continues. I have letters to examine. Foreign returns and viewing copy request dates to correlate and film collectors to track down. So many people and places to go. The sky's the limit. Once I get out, anyway. Trouble is, uh, these tunnels are quite a labyrinth and, uh, well, I, I ran into the darkness for quite a long time. Oh, well, I, I'm sure I'll find my way eventually. And worst comes to the worst, I've had grimmer Christmases. Well, we'll see what I can do. Until then, my friends, keep up the search, keep in touch, and stay tuned. And it just leaves me to wish you a very merry... What's that? Oh, my God.
No, it can't be. No. No. My God, no! Into the Archives was presented by Peter Fleming. His archivist and producer of the program is Tom Burgess. Music and sound were found in a skip in Made Avail by Peter Fleming and remastered by Tom Burgess. How's It Done was produced and presented by Peter Fleming. And the BBC One idents were produced by... someone. The clips were used with the kind permission of Roland Boland and remastered by Tom Burgess. Special thanks to Andy Barr, Suze Kempner and Sam Nicaresti. The Daleks were created by Terry Nation. This program was a Peter Fleming production for Christmas. And incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you. Not again. Ah!